Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Samson was a guy that was called by God. When I say called by God, I mean that God had given him a specific job on planet Earth. He had a mission for his life. It was very intentional. Even from the time before his birth, God had spoken to his parents and said to them that I'm going to give you a son. His, his name will be Samson and he is going to free Israel from the oppression of the Philistine people who were rulers over the Israelites at this very time. So he's got this whole life that is going to be full of purpose and And God has gifted him. Now, when I say gifted him, I mean, he has given him uh, uh, incredible strength. Like physically, he's very strong and he does some amazing things. And and so God's given him this abilities and strength and and, and power. And and all of that is really good. But but really, we're at the fourth week in this series and Samson really still hasn't done anything. That's meant to be about Samson. But um. But Samson is not doing anything yet. And I think that's kind of sad. Don't you think that's sad? That he's not doing anything? You ever seen that? You ever seen people that are gifted and called and graced by God and you can see it? You can see purpose and destiny and it's on their life. You can notice it. And yet they're not doing anything with the gift that God has given to them. And as a pastor, I can tell you that I have seen this. And it's always sad when you do, because you know the impact they could make for the kingdom of God if they decided to use everything that God had given to them. See, power has a purpose. If God gave it to you, there is a reason for you having it. If God gave you some power, there's a reason why He gave it to you. There's always purpose in power. Did you know that today is Pentecost Sunday? And Pentecost Sunday is a day when we remember that after Jesus had died on the cross, was buried, resurrected before He ascended to the Father, He spoke to His disciples that were uh, called by Him, to do something significant on planet earth. And he says, I'm going to give you this job to change the world. Okay, I want you to preach the good news to all creation. You're going to go out into the world. But before you go out into the world, I want you to wait for the helper to come. And when he comes, he will fill you with power. And the original word that they used uh, in, in the original language in the Greek is this word dunamis. And dunamis is where we get the word for dynamite. And in other words, what he's really saying is, is that God will give to the people that he calls to to be on mission, explosive power to be able to fulfill the ministry to which he calls them. Now, let me tell you why that's exciting. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called by God to do something on planet earth. There is a job for you. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for your life. And He's not going to let you just struggle through life. He's going to fill you with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that would grace you to do what would otherwise be impossible to do. And so we remember Pentecost Sunday. The day when the Spirit of God fell and He began to give the disciples incredible gifts so that they could complete everything that God gave them. I want to preach a message to you guys tonight called Power and Purpose. Now this story that we're reading tonight about Samson, Samson is very strong, but he is not very smart. 
So he is, he is strong in one area and he is weak in another. He, he's, he's not very smart. And where we pick up this story is that Samson is marrying a girl from the Philistines. He's actually marrying the enemy, which really was forbidden. Samson was not supposed to be doing that. But Samson has decided that he's going to marry this girl. And he has come to a feast, which is really the beginning of this marriage ceremony that's going to happen. And when he goes to the feast, the original word that they used, you know, in the original Hebrew language, they say that this particular type of feast absolutely included alcohol. Now, that's not a problem unless you have taken a vow to say that you're not going to drink. And that's what Samson has done. Samson's taken what we call a Nazarite vow. And part of that vow, which means that he was separated and, and, and put aside for the holy purposes of God. Samson is not supposed to drink, but now he has decided that he is going to drink. And so he drinks at this festival. Now, um, I don't know if you have ever been around people that have had some drink, you know? But some people, when they have a lot to drink, they tell you that they love you. I just love you, man. You're the best friend I could ever have. No, seriously. No, you. No, you. No, I really love you, man. Right. And some people just say that. Well, Samson, he, he has a little bit to drink and, and, and he breaks into riddles. Okay. And, and so there are 30 young Philistine people that, uh, that have attended this function. And Samson is going to give them a riddle and he's hoping to stump them. So we pick up this story in Judges chapter 14. And it says this. In verse 12, And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Now, Samson did not have 30 linen garments or 30 changes of clothes. So if he messes this up and if they do get the riddle, he's starting his marriage in debt. This is why you don't gamble, everybody. It's a bad idea, but this is what he's doing. He's really gambling here. It says in verse 13, uh, But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, no one could solve the riddle. Of course I couldn't solve the riddle. That's the weirdest thing I've ever read. There are a lot of strange things in the Bible. And I read that a couple of times and I thought, no wonder he felt so confident. No one's going to guess that. That is a strange riddle to give anyone. Well, after this, the Philistines, they've already signed up for this bet. And so they're like, how are we going to come up with the 30 linen garments and the 30 changes of clothes? We don't know what we're supposed to do. And they're very disappointed about it. They're like, we're going to be poor. You know, we're, we're going to struggle. So... The Philistines, they go to Samson's new bride and they say to her, is this a joke? Are you setting us up to fail? You know what you should do? You should find out from Samson what that riddle is all about. Then give us the answer so we don't have to come up with the 30 linen garments and the 30 changes of clothes. Now, this is crazy because Samson's you know, bride, she's getting married to him and she probably shouldn't have thought that this was a good idea because why would you want to start your marriage in debt? But do you know what she does? She turns on the waterworks. She is an emotionally manipulative lady and she starts crying, oh, Samson, 
Samson, don't you love me? He's like, yeah, that's why I'm marrying you. And she's like, yeah, but if you really love me, then you'd tell me what that riddle was about. What's the riddle about, Samson? He's like, listen, lady. He said, I'm not even, I didn't even tell my, I didn't tell my, uh, my father. I haven't told my mother. I haven't told anyone. And she's like, yeah, but if you really love me, then you would have told me. Right? So she's pressing him and Samson is over it. So he's like, fine, you want the answer? He gives her the answer. So guess what she does? She goes to the Philistines and she goes, here's the answer. Then they come back to Samson. We pick up the story. It says, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them something really interesting. He said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Now, I just want to give some marriage advice tonight. Some of you are thinking about getting married. Some of you might be married. And I just thought it would be helpful for you to know. Don't call your wife a heifer. <laughs> yep. See, I think the church should be practical, you know. I think every time you leave church, I think, you know, what do we really put in their hands? What tools did we resource them with? And now you're welcome. <laughs> Don't call your wife a heifer. It's not going to go well for you. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. And then when this all happened, it says the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle in hot anger. So he's still in a rage. By the way, Ashkelon was not close. So he is just raging this whole time. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. There is a difference between reacting and responding. A really big difference. See, when you react to some surprise, some information that maybe you didn't know, when you react, it's often not calculated. It's not thought through. It's just sometimes raw emotion that's coming through. And there is a big difference between reacting and responding. You, when you take the time to think through the situation, sometimes you see more than you would have if you had just reacted. It's much better for you in life to think about your response, to sometimes just pause for a moment than you just react. It makes much more sense to do this. I remember, you know, when I was a, a teenager, th there were some things that could just really get me arced up, you know, and they were just silly little things. I remember this one time I, I was catching the bus home and I, I'm the oldest brother. So I have two younger brothers and we all had to catch the bus at the same time. Now my job, I felt the weight and responsibility to make sure that my brothers get home safely. So my youngest brother decided one particular afternoon that he was just going to uh, go home with someone else and, and, and get a lift. And that's great. But he didn't tell me about it. So now I'm waiting to get onto the bus, but I can't see him. And the time is pressing and I'm looking around and he's not here. And I think, you know what? I can't leave yet. I've got to look after my brother. So I don't get on the bus and I'm searching and I'm going up to the office at school and I'm, have you seen him? And I'm trying to discover where he is and I'm starting to get worried. And I'm like, well, I guess I better just go home. I'm going to find a bus that I can catch now and make my way home. And eventually I got home and I thought, well, what do I do? Like, do, am I going to file a missing persons report? Now, remember, this is the days before 
before, uh, high school students had phones, okay? So, so there's no way that, that we are be, out, be able to communicate this information. And I get home, and then after being home for about half an hour and kind of being a little bit worried, my brother walks in, and he has had the greatest afternoon because whoever picked him up, they decided that they were going to take him out. They had hot chocolates. It was a cold day. He just got, you know, this, this car ride all the way there. And when I saw them, and I saw the great afternoon that they'd had, they've been in the house for all of about two seconds. And I just unloaded this barrage of yelling. And I didn't even wait for a response. Whatever they were going to say, it was not going to be good enough for me. And so I am yelling at them and I am frustrated and I'm cross and, I, you know, and all the rest of it. And then the truth is, is that they just looked at me like with shock and, and horror. And I was done. I just walked off in, 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 in hot anger, you know. And, and, and then later on that night, I was thinking about it. I thought, man, that was really dumb. I felt like I really overreacted there. And then I kind of felt embarrassed because I, I probably shouldn't have reacted like that. But when you don't think through your response, it's really easy to just react. And sometimes, honestly, to just overreact. But if you were really smart, if you get caught in a situation where somebody does something that's out of character, you would be better off than to react. You would be better off to just look at them and stand back and say, wait a minute. Why would this person be behaving this way? They wouldn't normally treat me like this. I wonder why they're doing that today. I wonder what's going on in their life that would cause them to behave like this. Sometimes it's a smart idea to take another step back and say, why am I getting so upset about this? Why, why am I getting so mad about this? I, sh I shouldn't be upset about this. What's, what's going on inside of my heart that would cause me to be so worked up over something so minor? And then if you're really, really smart, you would step back even from that. You take another step back and you say, hey, man, what's really going on here? Did you know that our wrestle in life is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? That there are... There are uh, there is demonic opposition to the people of God moving forwards in life. And sometimes when we see situations that might just cause us to snap, we should take a step back and say, what's really going on here? Is there a situation that's happening that deserves uh, a little more prayer? Maybe just a little more thought? Well, Samson, he, he didn't have any of those thoughts, so he just snapped. And, and, and Samson is angry he, he's, he's, he's actually just raging right now. And, and I can understand why. Like we read this and we're like, look at him, hot-headed Samson. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look back at the story. I can understand why Samson might be a little upset. For example, he started off his marriage in significant debt and he didn't know how he was going to come up with uh, what he needed to, to move that debt on. And in addition to that, the woman that he loves, that he has just married in their very first week has already completely betrayed him and taken the side of, his, uh, of the Philistine people, which really were his enemy and that he already knew that. And she set him up to fail. She's betrayed him. And so I look at that and I think, well, you know, I can understand why Samson would be cross. I can understand why Samson would be angry about all of this. But to be completely honest, if I step back from the story for just a minute, there are a lot bigger issues going on in Israel than Samson's little thing that's happening here. A lot bigger issues. Do you, do you remember that the reason why Samson was sent was to free the nation of Israel 
from the oppression of the Philistines. You remember that that was the reason why God sent him. Yeah, hands up if you remember that. Yeah, so you remember that that's why God sent him. And yet, when I read this, I realized that Samson, he doesn't care about that. that that's a war that Samson's not fighting. Samson's not even engaged in it. In fact, to be honest, Samson is completely distracted with his own private battles. He's completely distracted and he's just focusing in on his own private battles, forgetting the big scope of the picture, which is that the entire nation is enslaved to the Philistine people. Now, let me tell you something. Samson would not be the first person to be distracted by their personal battles and have had their attention pulled away from a greater purpose. Samson would not be the first person to experience that. I'll tell you something else. Samson would not be the last person to experience that because the truth is there are a lot of private battles that you can experience that will fully absorb your attention and pull you away from the greater purposes of God and you end up getting distracted just like Samson did. Sometimes you need to understand that the real enemy of your soul would rather that you were just fighting your own private battles. He would rather you, you were fighting all the wrong battles. Now, this is a contemporary problem. How many Christian people have you heard of? Do you know of? that struggle profoundly with anxiety. That's a private battle. And that private battle is strong enough to fully suck in and absorb their entire focus so that they are so fixated on managing their anxiety levels every single day that they are not focused on the big picture stuff that God has called them to do. I wonder how many callings have been disrupted because people are fixated on what's going on in here and they have forgotten that there's a big battle that we're supposed to be fighting out there. This, this is the power of having your private battles completely consume you. Now listen to me because this next part is very important. If you are a person that's struggling with anxiety and worries and all the rest of it, I'm not here to make you feel bad, but don't throw it for a second think that the reason God put you on planet earth was to fight for your own mental health every single day. If you think that that is the reason why God made you, so that you could live every day fighting the same battle, you don't understand the God that we serve. I'm not wanting you to feel bad about it, but you got to know that He didn't put you here so you could struggle with that every day and forget about all the other stuff that God would want to do in your life. See, it actually is really easy to fight the wrong battles. And sometimes we get mad at the wrong people and we get upset at the wrong, th at, at the wrong times. And you know, the, the, you know, imagine like, it's so easy sometimes for like married couples to just get upset at each other. You know, like a husband that would just be so mad at his wife, you know, and, 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 and you know, she's, she's causing me grief and she's causing me issues and I come home and it's here and, and, and he's just getting mad at her. But really, 
It's because he's leaning in and listening to a whispering voice that says, yeah, you know that your wife, she doesn't respect you. You know, she doesn't love you like she used to. You know, your wife is just taking you for granted. See, there is a network of evil that would seek to destroy your marriage because, you know, when you're fighting divorce, it's really hard to fight for the kingdom because it's absorbing your full attention. And the enemy loves to do this to people. You're mad with your boss and you're leaning into the whispering ears or the whispering voices that say to you things like you're undervalued in this company. You are underappreciated. You are due for promotion. They are passing you over. They don't care about your successes. They are working you too hard. They are taking advantage of you. And suddenly you're going to work sabotaging your own career because you're so mad with someone. But what's really going on is there is a spiritual battle that's taking place trying to absorb your full attention so that you you are not focused on the kingdom priorities. You know, this happens all the time. For example, there was this story in the Bible about where Peter is walking with Jesus and Jesus says to Peter, hey, who do people say I am? And Peter says, oh, you know, some people say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, one of the prophets. And, And Jesus says, okay, fine, Peter, but who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Messiah. And so then Jesus says to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which was his other name. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, when Peter heard that, he probably had a mountaintop experience, elated at the fact that the heavens had opened and that no one had told him and that he heard from God. He probably told all the other disciples too. Hey guys, if you want to hear from God, you can ask either Jesus or me because we both hear from God. And if you want to know anything about God, just come and ask me. Now, Peter was feeling pretty tip top for about five verses, but, but then later on, Jesus says, you know, hey, he starts foretelling his death. And Peter says to Jesus, oh, far be it from you, Lord. May this never happen. May you never die. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. That's pretty harsh, yeah? Get behind me. Satan? And I read that story and I think, man, that's so harsh. Like, but hang on, wait a minute. Um, Jesus is not calling Peter Satan. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, I appreciate that you have the best intentions because you love me, but everything that you just said came from the pit of hell because the devil would love for me to not die on the cross to set people free from the power of sin that would rule and reign their life. To be honest, Jesus would love to not go to the cross. Read the story. In the last minutes before he gets you know, caught in the garden of Gethsemane, he's still saying, is there any other way? And God says, nope. He's like, well, I guess we're going to see this thing through then. you know. And, and so he sticks with the plan. Why? Because he wants to serve God and do everything that's, that's right. But imagine if he had listened to Peter. And what Peter said would have really appealed to Jesus because he's thinking, yeah, that sounds great. Well, looks like you heard from God last time. So Peter, looks like I don't have to die on the cross anymore, you know, only that we would not be here today. And this would not be the world that we live in. And we are so grateful that Jesus was able to look past the person to see the network of evil that was operating in the background, trying to pull him away from his purpose. See, something that I think 
that's really important. Something that you need to know is that the devil is at work 24 hours a day, seven days a week to keep you distracted. His spirit, he doesn't require sleep. And if you think he's not working on this, you'd be wrong about that. The entire focus of hell, the entire focus of the devil and his demons is to make sure that we don't do our jobs, to make sure that we don't live the life that God has called us to live. Now, He will give you pleasure or pain, whatever it takes to get you away from doing whatever God's called and gifted and graced and asked you to do. So some of you are fighting battles, but they're just maybe not the right battles. And the devil would love and prefer for all of you to fight the wrong battles. Because as long as you're fighting the wrong battles, you're not making the kind of difference that God wants you to make on planet Earth. So you're getting upset at your best friend and your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister and and your work colleagues and your spouse. And you're getting upset at all of these people. But really, that's not the issue. There is a larger issue that's going on that's trying to keep you distracted. See, let me explain it to you like this. The devil cannot do one thing about your calling. Not one thing. Not one thing. He can't stop it. He can't, he can't, you know, stop you from saying yes to God. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you decide that's something I want to do, the devil can't stop you doing that. So you can just go ahead and, and make that decision. But although he can't stop you from doing it, he will be hard at work to distract you to make sure that you never follow up that decision with a life that serves God and is devoted to the purposes of the kingdom of heaven. And he's working on it all the time. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, Paul is writing to some people and he says, hey, you know, I often wanted to come to see you, but I was hindered. He says that Satan hindered him. Now, the word for hindered in the original language, it means to block. In other words, Satan blocked the pathway to make sure that they went another direction. It's just a diversion. And some of you have started well and you began to walk out your calling and you were chasing it down before you became disillusioned and disappointed and it came however it came. And at some point, there was maybe an experience, not for all of you, but maybe for some of you, where the devil blocked your path because he didn't want you to keep going. Because if you did, you'd make a big difference on planet Earth. And he's not looking for you to do that. So he's going to block your path and redirect you. And the devil does this to people all the time. As long as he can get something that steals your attention and your focus. 12 months ago, I came and I spoke to our team. And I said to them, God's given me a vision for this church. And I want to share it with you. And we are, uh, now you know the vision and we've, we've shared that and we changed the name of the church and you know, all the other stuff that we did that was attached to that. Well, that began with a conversation that I had with our team. And you know, I shared that with them on the first week of July last year. Well, in the second week of July, I got sick and that sickness caused me a lot of pain and it wasn't over quickly either. And it actually took, and, and, and many of you would not even be aware of this, but it was an eight-month journey trying to make sure that I didn't actually have an illness that they thought that I might have. 
And I, I didn't really talk about it very much, but three months into that, my wife ends up giving me a call and saying, I can't feel my arms properly. I need to go into hospital. And she went into emergency. And so here I am navigating that sickness in my own life. My wife is in a hospital and they're trying to diagnose uh, something wrong with her. And all the stuff that they were saying was so serious, right? And that happened just after we decided that we were going to launch forwards with the vision of the church. And I don't think it was an accident. And, and, and this health thing that was going on in our world was trying desperately to pull our attention and our focus. And let me tell you something. The reason that you have not heard much about it is because I didn't let it. Because I've got better things to do than to give platform to the enemy's agenda in my life. And I figured that if God gave us a vision, why would I give airplay to what the enemy is trying to do when I just want to chase down everything that God wants us to do? And you know what? That thing could have hit the back burner. Hey, maybe we will. He's trying to block our path. He's trying to redirect us. Maybe we'll just come back to the vision when things begin to settle down. Well, if the devil knows you operate that way, he'll allow things to never settle down in your life because as long as he keeps you busy and as long as he keeps you focused on all the wrong battles, you'll never be free to pursue whatever it is that God wants you to do. See, this is why you got to stay on mission. You got to stay on mission because you could win the battle and lose the war. You're so fixated on the battles that you forgot that there's a war that's raging. Samson, he kills 30 Philistines. That's a battle. But Israel is still enslaved. That was the war. And Samson wasn't even engaged in it. In Judges 13, 25, it says that God stirred Samson. He stirred him. He began to stir his heart to say, hey, this is not the way that things should be. You shouldn't be oppressed. And he began to stir Samson's heart. And Samson did nothing about it. And you know why? Because he had a hard heart. Don't ever develop a hard heart towards God. You develop a hard heart towards God and it doesn't matter how gifted and graced you are, you will not be able to function in a ministry capacity. We know that Samson had a hard heart towards God because he did everything that he knew he wasn't supposed to do. It's not like he forgot that he shouldn't marry a Philistine woman. It's not like he forgot that he shouldn't marry the enemy. It's not like he forgot that he shouldn't drink. It's not like he forgot that he shouldn't touch unclean things. It's not like he forgot any of this stuff. And yet despite all of that, he made all of those decisions. And why? Because he had a hard heart. He had a hard heart towards God. I think that Samson forgot that the, that the purpose of power is service. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, it says that spiritual gifts, which is what the Holy Spirit gives to people to enable them to do ministry, they are there for the common good. Which means if God gives something great to you, it's not necessarily meant to be for you. You'll be using it and we'll see it in you, but it's actually meant to be for everyone around you. They're there for the common good. That's the way this works. And Samson, his anointing, which gives him great physical strength to overpower the Philistines, he's just using it for all of his personal battles. Because if you look at the story, you realize that the only person he's serving in this story so far, it's him. It's only himself. 
He saw the nation that he was meant to protect be enslaved for years and he didn't worry about it until it personally touched him. And the only reason he got engaged in the battle in the first place is because it touched his life and he said, right, I'm going to respond or react. It's easy to do this. I think it's so easy to take what God has given to us sometimes and just use it for ourselves. Use the gifts that God has given to us, but use it in a way that only benefits us. It's very easy to do this. If you're looking to discover what the power is that's in your life, or what maybe what God has gifted you with, think about this. This might be helpful to you. Think about what's so easy for you to do. What doesn't require much energy or effort, but there's just a grace on your life and you're just so good at it, you don't work at it. Some of you are going to grow up and, and you're going to be gifted at making money. Numbers make sense to you. Business makes sense to you. You understand how things work. You piece it together. You're going to be brilliant. And when you are brilliant, do you think that the reason why God gifted you with all of that capacity and ability was just so that you could buy a bigger house and a better car and look after your own family? Because there is a whole heap of kids that God loves that need to be cared for. And one of the reasons why He gifts people talents and abilities like that is so that they could care for the other kids, so that they could care for all of God's children. Some of you are brilliant teachers. You're so good. You're gifted teachers. You know that you're good. You know, it's not hard for you to teach. You get the content and you can formulate it into some kind of teaching plan very quickly. Maybe some of you are studying to be teachers, but then someone says, hey, have you thought about running a small group? And you're like, nah, it's too much work. The whole reason you have that gift, the whole reason that teaching is easy for you is because God gifted it to you. And you were meant to use it not just to have a job nine to five, but you were meant to have that gift so that you could use it to begin to serve the people that are around you. If you looked at the gift and you saw it right, I wonder what you're doing with what God gave you. Because the truth about this is you can bury yourself in some of the most rewarding work that God has never given to you. And you know why it's rewarding? Because you're good at it. You're good at it. And so you just stay within your sphere of success. You stay where you know is comfortable. And there's no desire to branch out and to serve people around you. Why, why do that when you could just leverage this gift for all it's worth and make it work in your own life? But I don't think that's the reason why God gives gifts at all. In, in fact, I think it's kind of becoming obvious now that power has a purpose. And if God gave you His power, it was meant for His purpose. Amen? See, Samson used his power for his purposes. And he goes back to his father's house. And he's so mad about it that he, he, he left his wife behind because he, he wasn't having anything to do with her. So he leaves her behind and he starts to think about it. He thinks, you know what? I wouldn't really mind seeing my wife. We did get married and then I just didn't see her. So he decides I'm going to go and I'm going to make things right. You won't have this up there, but this is, this is how he begins to make his way back to his wife. He he goes back and it says, Samson went to visit his wife because she wasn't living with him at the time. And he took with him a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. I felt like there was more marriage advice that I could give tonight. Samson is bringing a young goat 
to smooth things over with his wife so they can get busy. And I'm going to suggest to you that if you want to smooth things over with your spouse, don't give them a goat. Maybe do the dishes. Do the dishes, do some housework, clean things up, do some washing, learn where the iron is and use it, you know. Men, I don't know. That's going to work better than a goat. But he goes back and he, 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 he goes and he goes, he goes to see his father-in-law and he says, hey, how you doing? Just want to see my wife brought the goat, you know. And he says, we well, can't see her. And he says, why not? And he says, well, to be honest, Samson, you were so mad when you left. We thought you absolutely hated her. So I actually gave your wife to your best mate. And now they're married. In fact, it was the best man at your wedding. He's now married to your wife. Samson's like, are you kidding me? You can't, like, it's been a week. Like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. And then the father-in-law says something really crazy, right? And he says, but you know what, Samson? Don't worry about it because her sister's better looking anyway. So why don't you marry her? There are some things that a dad should just never say. And so this, this all happens. Samson's so mad about it. You know what he says? He goes, you know what? I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to make this right. He takes three. This is what happens when creativity goes awry, okay? Samson gets 300 foxes. Now that's impressive on its own. He turns them tail to tail and then he, he, he attaches between them a burning torch and lets them loose at all the Philistines' grain. Well, it burns down all the grain and they're furious about it. Like they, they, they you know, it wasn't just the family's grain, it was the town, the village's grain, right? So the other Philistines come out and they say, hey, what happened here? Why don't we have any grain? And, and they're like, well, Samson did it. Why did Samson do it? Oh, didn't you hear about that? Well, you know, after they got married, he actually gave Samson's wife to his best man at the wedding. And they're like, are you kidding? kidding me? That's crazy. So then the Philistines go burn Samson's ex-wife and his ex-father-in-law. Samson hears about it. He's like, what? I can't believe you did it. I was even when I burnt the grain, but now you've killed them. I didn't actually want them to die. Now you're going to die. You see how things begin to escalate. Things are starting to get really worked up. See, God wanted to start a fight with the Philistines, but Samson was only interested in his own personal agenda. You see how God can work through your personal agenda to still accomplish His will. And so he does this thing and, 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 you know, he kills them and, and then he just says, you know what, I'm going to have some time by myself. And so he gets out of town. And then it's, we pick up this in, in chapter 15, verse 9. It says, And the Philistines encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lahay. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Why did you cause this trouble? Don't you know what's going to happen? These guys are going to retaliate. And he says, Well, what, what then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I've done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new, new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lahay, the Philistines was shouting to meet him because I thought we're going to kill him. This is going to be so good. This guy's caused us grief and trouble. Now we're going to kill him. But it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found the fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. 
And with it, he struck down 1,000 men. Guys, that's impressive. A thousand warriors and he killed them with the jawbone of a, a donkey. And Samson, I don't think that Samson was very good at riddles or rhymes. And so he, he says, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. I assumed that in the Hebrew it rhymed, but this was not good. And, and so... And so it says in verse 17, as soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand and that place was known as Ramathlehay, which means hill of the jawbone because they name things after what happened there, which kind of is funny, but it's not so bad when you think about it because the future generations would know that that's the hill where God moved. That that's the place where God moved on Samson and he destroyed our enemies. And it seems kind of silly, but not when you start to commemorate the victories that God has made in your life. So you remember, because there are actually some battles that you are meant to fight. There are. You can get caught in the wrong battles, but there's some, there are some battles that you're actually meant to be fighting. And you know what Israel did? They, they acclimated to their position. They, they said, no, we're slaves. This is just our position in life. I have met people that said, this is my position. This is where I'm going to stay. This is what God has for me. But they have no idea what God has for them. They've forgotten what God has for them. And Israel, they had forgotten the stories of old. They had forgotten what God had done in the past. And they said, we are just slaves. But one thing you should know about problems in your life is that problems are always a platform for God's power. Come on, the best stories you've ever heard came from the darkest beginnings, yeah? It's like when everything looked bleak and when it looked like it wasn't going to happen and, 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 and all hope was lost and then God made a difference. Aren't they the, just the best stories? Man, we got to remember this stuff. I remember when I was a kid and uh, I used to play basketball and and this must have been like, I must have been under sevens. I think it was one of my first couple games. And we were down at our end. And I'm still trying to get my head around the game. And somebody passed me the ball. And I realized that I've got to shoot the ball into the goal that's in front of me. But there's a problem because there's all this opposition in the way. There's all these people that are trying to stop me. And I get the ball and I think... Well, there's no one guarding that goal. It was like chariots of fire. I look at them. They look at me. I start to bounce it. This is it. This is it. It's happening, right? I'm bouncing the ball. I'm dribbling, right? And the crowd goes wild, right? I'm hearing people are shouting. They're excited. I can't even hear what they're saying yet, but they're excited about it, right? And I'm dribbling the ball in my head. It's like slow motion. Like I can still see it now. And I'm bouncing the ball. No one's in front of me. Zero opposition. This is my moment. You watch this, everybody. I'm coming in for a layup, right? And the ball goes up, right? Now, as I'm bringing the ball up for a layup, I, I, I suddenly hear what people on my bench were yelling out and they were going, stop! What are you doing? And I, the ball leaves my hands, right? Boom, and it misses. And my team get the rebound and they look at me and they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, I was just trying to score some goals. And they're like, at the other end, you were shooting the wrong way, you know? 
But you know what was so attractive about heading that direction was that there was zero opposition when I looked the other way. And sometimes in life, you will find that when there is zero opposition in your life, could it be that, that you are actually heading the way that the enemy wants you to go? So the reason that there's no opposition is because you've already been blocked and you didn't realize it. And now you've been diverted and you don't realize it. And now you're heading in a direction and you feel good about it because you don't even understand what's even happened yet. And you're still heading the wrong direction. No opposition. It feels the right way to go because no one's there to stop you. But the problem is you're shooting at the wrong goal. And when sometimes when you are so fixated on some of the private battles, I'm not saying that they aren't things that you should, you know, be aware of. But if that consumes your life, could it be that you have spent your life shooting at the wrong goal and not realizing that God had more for you if you decided that you were going to turn and fight the right battle? See, so you got to get a vision for your life. Guys, you got to get a vision for your life. You, you, you got to know who God has called you to be. And you got to know what God has asked you to do. Because if you don't, there's no frame of reference from which to look up from and say, I'm headed the wrong direction. How would you possibly know? You got to begin to read the Word of God so you know what God wants you to do with your life. And when I say get a vision for your life, I'm not trying to tell you and, and, and head into the spiritual stratosphere of the universe and say this, it's all up there, guys, and one day you'll find it. Seriously, just sometimes read the Word and say, I know I'm not supposed to go that way. I know that that's a bad decision for my life. I know that I'm selling out if I head that direction and I'm not doing that with my life. You gotta get a vision for your life. Israel had no vision. They forgot. They thought that they were slaves. They said, Samson, what are you doing this for? Don't you understand that we were slaves? They had forgotten their history. They had forgotten what God had done. They forgotten the day when Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. In enough time for them to run down their enemies, God stopped the sun so that they could defeat their enemies. See, when you feel overwhelmed and you think, I don't know if I can fight this battle, good. You're probably grappling with reality right there. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus will fight your battles with you. So you're not alone, but you gotta see the way that you're going before you can do it. Israel said, we are slaves. God was saying, you're sons. And I'm not letting my sons become slaves. You may not want this battle, but it's coming for you because I refuse to allow my kids to be slaves to the Philistine people. I'm not going to have it. And so Samson starts this fight. And I just, you know, I read this story and I think, man, I wonder how many people are fighting the wrong battle. I want you to stand to your feet. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.